0: This is Ross Coulthard and you are listening to That UFO Podcast.
1: Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast or welcome to That UFO Podcast for 2024. My name is Andy and I'm very happy to say New Year has arrived full of promise, full of frustration and well, let's find out what else. And to take a look back at a packed 2023 and I look forward to 2024, I have joining me from regular co-host duties on breakdowns, uh, also one half of 33 Ounce Creative with Olaf Rockner. I wanted to also say phenomenal just because just i can say the word now but i'm not sure if dan classes himself as that or not um but yes dan <laughs> zetterstrom uh, for those who have never heard the second name said out loud uh, by me <laughs> on here it's rare but yeah dan welcome it is welcome thank you for having me and it's great to be here
2: with all of you fine people and your fine minds happy new year to everyone and uh yeah let's get this rolling
1: thank you all of you fine people all of who fine people well uh, of... oh, oh, he's ruined oh it. no yeah.
2: i ruined it um, no they're on screen already
1: yeah i'm totally taking that out uh no uh, yeah he's right i've got a couple of returning names and faces um firstly author researcher friend and fellow uap media uk colleague mr graham rendle uh, graham Hi. Grendel. graham rendle uh, welcome hello. back graham
0: yeah cheers andy
1: nice to see you again very good to have you, uh, fresh off of filming Top Gear at the end of the year there, weren't you? Um, how are you after your close call for those of people who may not have seen that you had a bit of a bump, didn't you, in the yeah, car?
0: Yeah, I, um, I blacked out of the wheel and, and went off the road. Yeah, I'm fine, the car's not very good, I uh, don't have a car anymore, So, uh, but I'm allowed to drive, thankfully. So uh, yeah, things are looking up. I'm still That's at one fit- piece, thank you. It's very good
1: to hear. And for anyone who works in insurance, Scream never blacked out at the wheel. It was someone else's fault. Um, And also, I'd like to welcome back. It's been far too long uh, from Calling All Beings and the wonderful Liminal Frames. I've got Nathan. Nathan, welcome back, mate. How are you?
3: Great. Good to be back with you. Happy 2024. Excited to talk with you guys. There's not a lot happening, so it should be a pretty dull show. (laughs) Uh, But, um, you know, we'll do what we can, right?
1: It's only as interesting as the guests, so you're right. It might be a dull one for the books. Um, listen, first up, we're going to look back at 2023. It was a hell of a year, I think people will agree. A lot happened when you do kind of look back at the the bulk of it. Very loose format for you listening or viewing. We're going to look back at a few major news items that have happened. I'm going to go round the panel and ask them to pick, you know, a few things, but then one major one to talk about. We'll discuss it, a few different talking points, and then we'll move on. Um, just recapping kind of the big things, some of which you might forgot about some of them uh, you may remember well others you might not have heard of depending how new you are to the topic how prevalent you are on things like social media and whatnot i've got some listener stuff to finish off part one and then part 2 we'll move into 2024 so um I think one name is going to come up quite a lot throughout this. Um, So I think right now we'll just mention, can folks just leave Mick West out of this? All No, I'm joking. Um, uh, Obviously, David Grush is going to be the name on, on, and I think a lot of the conversations here, but a whole lot more happened around that. Nathan, though, I'm going to come to you first. Um, 2023, like you say, bit of a year a lot happened from the beginning to the end, and it certainly sped up and picked up, I think, towards the year's end. So for you, what were some of your kind of big moments and highlights of 2023?
3: Yeah, there are a couple of really big ones for me. I'm going to start toward the beginning of the year in February, where we had the UAP shootdowns over the United States. uh, That was an unprecedented event in the U.S., at least uh, in a long time, like shooting something down over the skies of the country. Uh, The Chinese spy balloon, of course, is the one we know about, but there were a couple of other attempts that happened as well uh, that we still don't know very much about those UAPs. So interesting and kind of intriguing uh, bit of news there to kick off the UAP conversation in 2023. The the biggest one, honestly, that jumps out for me, though, because I can remember exactly where I was when I saw it, And, uh, Graham, this was not long after I saw you over the summer. I was in the Denver International Airport when I got the news announcement that Chuck Schumer and Mike Rounds introduced their legislative language to the NDAA. And I just remember like my jaw hitting the floor, looking at all the language that was used, the NHI, uh, non human intelligence, used so many times. I remember showing it to my wife and being like, look, this is serious. You know, finally, you know, take me seriously. And she's kind of kind of rolling her eyes again. Uh, but a huge deal. And really, if you think about what that did and showed all of us going into the the latter half of 2023 was an extreme or increased interest in the UAP subject in the U.S. Congress. Uh, we can debate on the merits of the depth of that interest, but to me, putting together that level of language that uh, the the number of pages that they crafted uh, coming from the majority party is a huge deal. Uh, so I, I and also let's not forget even though that language didn't make it all the way through in the NDAA. Uh, Senator Chuck Schumer still seems pretty resolved to get something done. And I think he named it as one of his top three priorities uh, toward the end of the year and and still a top priority for him going into this year. So I'm very curious to see how that's going to play out. But that was a a huge moment for me, other than what I know everybody else will want to talk about, and we'll get into some of that as we go.
1: What are you going for then, Nathan, Is you're your kind of stand out? And I'll let you go first, because uh, you're probably the last one that was on, or the longest time ago. What are you going for as the kind of standout moment for you of 2023 when it comes to UFOs?
3: Yeah, I mean, Grush, obviously, uh, is huge. And I know we're going to spend a good bit of time talking about him. Uh, I certainly didn't see that coming, uh, you know, kind of him stepping forward and, and being as bold as he has been. Uh, the I also didn't see, honestly, the level of interest from lawmakers that we've seen just continuing to push that topic forward. The UAP caucus is an actual thing within the U.S. Congress, which, again, let's rewind a few years from today. And imagine if you had said that to us then, we would have you know, said you're completely joking. So it's uh it's a weird place to be in and I think we're just continuing to see the normalization of this topic in the in the wider conversation. Uh when I saw those caucus members talk at the podium about their resolve and their interest and the frustration that they're getting from the the pushback every time they try to dig into this they get pushback from someone from the Department of Defense or some other agency uh, they're not going to let this go. And so that, to me, is, uh, is very encouraging. And uh, there's, of course, a lot of things underneath the surface that are, that are lending strength to that resolve. And I know that it's frustrating for many of us. We'd like to know what those things are. But to me, the, the, the proof that they exist is just the effort, the level of effort that we're seeing publicly from lawmakers in trying to push this forward.
1: So you said David Grush, I expected that to come in. Everyone's going to mention that at some point here at length. What David Grush has stood out to you, though, because they had a few different moments between the hearings, Rogan, um, various news outlet appearances. He was on with, uh, not, SC, not was SCU, wasn't was it? Uh, no, um, Project Titan. He was on with those guys. Uh, Paolo Gazarde. What kind of moment for you stands out when you think David Grush from the last kind of six months?
3: Well, the hearing for me uh, where he appeared with David Fravor and Ryan Graves uh, in the Congress again. The man is incredibly well spoken, incredibly knowledgeable, clearly very was was very good at his job. Uh, He wouldn't have gotten to the position that he was in at that kind of time in his professional career without being very good at it. And that comes through in everything that he says. I, I totally understand the frustration that folks might have with him not being able to divulge everything that he knows, but he's gone pretty far in what he has said. Uh, you know, think about what he's what he's shared with Jesse Michaels, what he's shared with uh, Tucker Carlson. I mean, he's essentially hinting that you know he's got some knowledge himself that the kinds of individuals that he's spoken to, as in his own words, I think would blow our minds. Uh, he, I think he even used a phrase, the highest of the high, if you catch my drift. I mean, I, I don't know who you guys can think of in terms of the highest of the high, but I mean, that's a very short list when it comes to lawmakers or people with positions of power in the U.S. governmental apparatus. So uh, those are huge things for me. A formal complaint that he filed very detailed complaint. spoken with 40 witnesses. I mean, it, to me, it's, it's a, I mean, we could go on and on about it, but an incredible effort there and a lot of uh, things that that jump out.
1: Yeah. Dan, I'll bring you a there on on what Nathan said. Anything you want to touch on, bring up, agree with?
2: Yeah, absolutely. The hearings were something that was on my list. You know, it, it was highlighted by Time magazine as one of the moments of the year. They had a, a picture in the first, I think, 50 moments of the year um, mm. of Grush. Braver and Graves at the hearing and it's a, you know, Nathan's not overstating it. It's a monumentous moment for decades and decades and decades. We wanted stuff like this to start taking place. And now in the modern day where, you know, coverage goes around the world so quickly that made such a big impact. And so many people were talking about it and things are still kind of pouring from it. The The legislation that Nathan mentioned, the Schumer legislation as well has been huge um, I think of people like Graham and David Marlow when I look at that legislation. You know, sure, we don't have the independent review panel. There are a few things that were taken out. But we do have now a repository at the National Archives where there's presumption to declassify information after 25 years to put it in there so it can be accessed. Before now, people like Graham and David had to go scratching and scrounging for this stuff. Now we have a repository. That's a really good thing. It's a baby step, but it's a really, really great thing. Um, and I just I can't emphasize that
1: enough. Graham, I love having you on these things because along with Dan and Nathan, who bring sensibility, logic, interesting theories, hypotheses, you hate aliens, don't you? Uh, yeah. And the notion of it. So <laughs> I, I like to have you on, Graham, uh, to kind of bring us back down to earth, so to speak. But what what for you and uh, in, in your own rationale stands out there from what Nathan said?
0: I think well, just to echo what the two to the two have said about you know their high points of the year, but I think the, the sheer amount of media coverage this year has been something of a revelation, um, and not just your sort of you know ten second or, or thirty second soundbite kind of filler that they have at the end of uh, of the news hour, but it's actually been taken front and center. So you've had uh, live coverage of NASA, um, you know NASA press conferences. Um, you've also had all the legislation that has been going through that's been covered at you know sort of ad nauseum but also the congressional hearings i mean that just took up hours and hours of coverage and then all the all the you know the things that came afterwards um exploring it in detail and people um you know, on talk shows people on on documentaries and then of course all the podcasts etc afterwards and i've never seen anything like it i mean I would have thought 2017 was was good for ufology with all the revelations that were coming out from Lou Elizondo, etc. But it just seems to have built upon that. And now I I keep thinking we're we're sort of heading towards almost a critical mass point where it's going to be that, you know, people can't run away from it anymore. And the people who are keeping secrets simply can't hide those because there'll be just such a clamouring for people eventually and for journalists and mainstream journalists as well to actually start asking questions rather than being... You can tell at the moment some of them are still in the dark, they don't understand you know, what we're talking about because it's more than a 30-second soundbite and they need to grasp not just one concept but a lot of different steps um, to actually understand what's going on. It's not something that can be encapsulated in. You know, one sentence or a couple of paragraphs. But I think once they get over that and they start asking these really intelligent questions of people, um, of the lawmakers, of the president, of the press secretary, all all the rest of it, then they're going to you'll know, be put people under pressure to actually come up with those answers. And those people, if they don't have the answers, they will actually have to find people who will give the answers to them.
1: I've said many times before when when we meet in person, Graham, and, and I'm sure Dan and Nathan will find this with you. You don't talk any differently about the subject than you do when you're on on these types of shows. Like you won't, if I say to you, "What do you think's inside a flying saucer?" Mm. You don't say about aliens, greys, <laughs> yeah. talk about abductions. You're very remiss to do it, and it, it is like drawing blood from a stone trying to have that conversation with you. So let me ask: when someone with your hardened reason and you really need to see something in black and white and that's that's why your books are so well researched you know there's no there's no conclusions drawn as such from them how do you feel when you hear that mainstream coverage talk about non-human biologics which is essentially alien bits alien bodies alien beings non-human intelligences alien craft this kind of stuff that you're remiss to really nail your colors to the mast on How do you feel seeing that in the mainstream?
0: I guess from a historian's point of view, I've heard it before. So I've heard various claims along these lines, you know, since the 1970s, when it first started reading books on the subject. There's nothing new under the sun. It's just who says it in what what context. Now, We're looking at it now by somebody who has a lot more credibility, I think, than people who used to come out and and put this in books or they would come up with obscure magazines and, and tell the same kind of stories, but with very little evidence. But now you have people who clearly do have access to evidence, either because they spoke to people who have that information, and there's some kind of paper trail, or they were directly involved in investigation programs. So, you know, we're much closer to finding out the truth of these claims than we ever were. Uh, And the people back in the 70s, 80s, and even earlier than that, who used to make these claims, I suspect they didn't really have that much evidence. It was kind of opinion, uh, and it was you know hearsay, etc. But now we've moved on much, much beyond that. Now, does that mean to say that I you know want to grasp uh, and, and start you know being a convert to you know the, the N.H.I. and I'm going to start talking about aliens left, right, and centre? No, because I still want that evidence. I still want to see that. And um, so I'm afraid you still won't get that kind of blood out of a stone. All <laughs> right. So so it's no use trying, Andy. I know you do every time you speak to me, though.
1: Not yet. Um, Dan, um, Dan, what do you say to that? And I, I won't come back to all of you for every single question, but I'll, I'll bring that you in on that one, Dan. So you're very different to Graham in that sense. You're much more happy to speculate. You've seen someone like David Grush with those credentials, which someone like Graham appreciates those credentials and who is saying it. You hear biologics, alien body parts, craft. And he's. I think the thing with David Grush is we've seen a slow increase in what he is willing to say and how much he is willing to say. I think one of the big standouts for me was when people accused him of changing his story from having no first-hand knowledge. But actually, when you go back to the hearing, he said he wouldn't talk about that until the time he was able to do so. And then when it's come later on, I think it was November or something like that, and when there was media appearances, he mentioned that that he was going to soon do it. People went, ah, oh, he never said that before. The clip very quickly gets shared online of the hearing, but he did say that was okay. So he's backed himself up. And I don't remember a time along the way where he's, where he's tripped up or slipped up really, has he?
2: No, not at all. This is This is the thing with Dave. Like you say, he's really well-spoken, really well together, very professional. You can tell, you know, at no point is there that slip into, oh, is this a friend of the UFO community? There seems to be a line that's there that kind of says no i'm professional i'm a whistleblower this this is what i'm here to do you know he's not here to do the rounds on podcasts and things like that you know he's been very different in that regard but he came with a lot of big claims and even though i'm you know i'm I'm happy splashing about in the woo end of the pool um it's been great that everyone's kind of been paying attention to uh to what he's been saying People have kind of slagged him off. People have championed him. I've heard people say that he's the hero this year. And all of these things are really interesting because the point is he's still being spoken about, right? He's still on people's minds. The subject still is something that we're passing. And it's a a very potent point in the community where it's real obvious that people are struggling to take what he's saying in because they are really big claims. Bodies, crash retrievals, you know, 100 audios of cover-up, this stuff. In the community, we, we just kind of go, oh, yeah, this is the long-running lore of the the subject. But really, if this are out into the big world, these are huge, huge, huge issues to deal with. So all we can ask is for people to stay curious and to pay attention and to follow along. And supposedly, that evidence is there. We've been told it's there from David. Uh, we've been told that the IG has it. Supposedly, people are going to be seeing that soon. And when I say people, I mean politicians with the, the access to, to a classified briefing. But... As we go forward, I expect more evidence to come out. And I think what people have to remember is, you know, I'm not going to sit here now and go, but Graham, how dare you say the isn't, you know, being on the up and up and you know, everyone has a different red line. And as long as people are paying attention or in the conversation and are doing so in a fair and honest way, what more can we ask? There's more momentum than ever in the subject after the year we just had.
1: Yeah, and I know, Dan, you would never nail your colours to the mast. It's not as if you're sitting there wearing a T-shirt declaring a punk rock star was right about alien life existing. So I bet you know.
2: they, this is just Tom was right about certain things, nothing to do with aliens. Yeah. Just, uh, just i right all
1: good in this T-shirt. Anyone who can view it can just see Tom anyway. So it I know it's anything. my
2: name, right? Uh, <laughs> I Tim, Tim Galladay it. at the New York conference. When when he picked me to ask a question, he actually said, "Tom, you have a question." And
1: uh, <laughs> everyone laughed. It was hilarious. Some I bet Tom's you never. Funny. I bet you never even corrected him. You were like, <laughs> "No, I didn't." know. So. I was like, "Yeah, thanks, Tim." Yeah. <laughs> Tom Zetterstrom, big fan. Um, <laughs> let's come back to uh, Graham. Graham. Now, let's go with York in a couple of key moments. I know you mentioned a little bit there, but then pick one for us to 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 look at and, and summarize
0: over. I think I mean I'm going to steal a little bit of uh, Nathan's because he first mentioned the balloons. Uh, if that's all right with you, mate, yeah. um, because I, I think that was a, a a really good start of the year. It might not have been the story that everybody wanted, as in you know definite proof of. Um, of UFOs or UAP. But it was, it was really intriguing, and also it held the news cycle for, for days, if not a couple of weeks, because there were so many things going on. And you're right, Nathan, I mean, there wasn't just the high-profile sightings. There were some others as well. I mean, obviously, we know about the first one because it happened between, what was it, January, it was the end of January, it was about the 28th through to about the 4th of February, uh, and that was the one that was shot, uh, well, they let it go right across America, uh, this, this surveillance balloon with a little package underneath it. And, of course, that, pro- that was a Chinese surveillance balloon, there was probably no doubt about it uh, because they, they've retrieved the, 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 the stuff from the seabed uh, after it was shot down for, uh, by an F 22 from Langley uh, using a Sidewinder missile. Uh, but there was, you know, just um, a day or so before it was shot down, there was one seen over Costa Rica. Uh, as well, so you know cent- Central America, and it headed over towards uh, Colombia and Venezuela as well, so they, and, but they weren 't entirely sure what that was because that was just described as a balloon, so the, you know it 's one of those things that it happens at the same time, so everybody jumps to the conclusion, but was it really a balloon? Was it something else? because that would be a great time for UAPs to start showing themselves if something else is going on, which they can almost hide behind, if you like. And then, of course, you've got this cylindrical silver floating object that was seen over the north slope, uh, slope of Alaska. Uh, was that February 9th and 10th? Uh, of, of, last year, the one that was visually inspected by F-35s from um, from Eielson and F-22s from Elmendorf in Alaska, uh, before they then, or one of them shot it down as well, um, uh, over the, was it the, over the Beaufort Sea? Um, and I think they really found it difficult to try and locate this because just how, how challenging the, the location and the weather was because i it's off the, you know, it's in, it's in the Arctic Ocean. Um, but then there was also that small metallic, balloon with a tethered payload uh which the f-22s um and also canadian f-18s had uh, had uh had witnessed as well in about the same sort of area and that one was shot down by um by uh, an F-22, and they never recovered the the wreckage from that either. And then I think the last one was uh, February the 11th, when there was an octagonal UFO. Um, They don't really sort of have much more uh, kind of detail on that one, and that was the one that was seen over Montana, um, and then disappeared, reacquired over uh, Wisconsin, uh, February the 12th, and then over Michigan, that was the one that uh, was an F-16, I think, from the Minnesota Air National Guard, shot down over Lake Huron. Uh, uh, But again, it was one of those ones where they couldn't you know, find the wreckage because it was just at the wrong time of year. The weather conditions are really bad. I think it fell into deep water, and it was too dangerous for the divers to go down. Uh, but then, the ch- to add to the confusion, because there was obviously a lot of confusion about these cases. You know, were there UFOs? Were they Chinese surveillance balloons? But then the Chinese, and this is one that's not really been reported, but the Chinese themselves reported strange balloons over their country on both the 12th and the 16th of February, about the same time. You know, all this other going on. Now, was that just a, a case of them trying to deflect attention from the fact that they were sending balloons over America, or were these genuine UAP? Um, it was hard to tell, but in one of those cases, they had to close airspace around an airport for, for some time as well. Um, 14th of February, you've got another one that looks like a weather balloon spotted over Romania, so there's another one entirely. Um, and there was an attempt at dis- interception, or rather, um, they were trying to actually get a couple of MiG twenty ones up there to, uh, from Romanian Air Force to try and look to see what it was. But they never managed to acquire it properly on radar, uh, or nor, uh, nor a visual sighting. So that was that was uh, you know completely unsuccessful. But it drifted over Moldova as well, uh, and then the last one was um, the the nineteenth uh, of February, and that was one over Hawaii, the one that was heading towards Mexico. So. You know, you've got a couple of weeks there, end of January, beginning of February, and it it just held the public interest uh, for for so long. And really, there's still a lot of debate as to what was shot down uh, in those second and third. Um, sort of sightings over the far north of, of North America, and I, I don't think we're still any further forward. So to me, those are really interesting cases. Now it might be that they're just you know it just comes up with a mundane explanation that they were Chinese spy balloons, but you can see the parallels to much earlier cases from the 50s and 60s where you know things were intercepted, they might not have been shot down, but we was still that kind of well we're not sure, and we'll still have these cases today. So I think it's very important that you know it's that kind of what goes around comes around, and nothing's new and ufology
1: i thought you might come up with that one because you like the the data you like the fact that it was reported you know there was cameras there there was a uh, military spokespersons coming forward and discussing it um which one graham did you think was the the one that was driven by aliens
0: ah uh, you don't get me that easy what i would say okay. is however that um, you know, the commander of the north american Air- aerospace defense um, Command, general general van Herk let's see 130, um, said that he hadn't ruled anything out regarding Mm -hmm. the possibility of extraterrestrials being involved. So, you know, some people were clearly taking things seriously, um, or at least, you know, that that doesn't sound like a throwaway comment too much. So there you go.
1: Nathan, let me bring you back in there on that one. I Mm -hmm. remember speaking to Dan Dan about this at the time, whether it was on a recording or not, I can't remember. But, it very much felt for a very, very short window that this was like the start of one of those movies like Signs or Arrival, where they're reporting, you know, quote-unquote UFOs here in the mainstream news and shoot-downs of a UFO, and they're not sure what they are. And then something else happens a few days later and it's all a bit protracted and strange. Then we start to hear it was hobbyist weather balloon, hobbyist craft balloons at one point, I think, the, was the story that came out. Then we get the Chinese spy balloon, we see the footage of the balloons in the sky. What were you kind of thinking at the time with all of that?
3: Uh, well, I, I mean, there, it's excellent how many events were recorded because mm-hmm. they, did they just leave a huge question mark, in my mind, hanging over the subject. And it, it, it speaks to some degree to what Dan touched on as well, and that's this this maturation of the, of the topic. It, it's, it's not like we're going a month or two months without hearing something related to UAPs. They're just in the news cycle almost all the time. When that was taking place, I, I agree with you, it was a little bit surreal. Uh, I, I particularly remember as well when President Biden uh, came out to give his announcement about the creation of his own UAP task force it was it was very theatrical the way that was presented it was like this uh, fancy studio space that he came out w- walked out on and gave a, a brief speech at a podium was, the backdrop was very like i don't know fancy looking and uh, he he just said that we're creating this we're on top of it you know rest assured we've got things covered but we've heard very little i mean basically nothing about that executive branch UAP task force throughout the rest of the year the other thing that bothers me about those events is the the comment that it really just kind of flipped a switch on the NORAD dial, uh, you know, dashboard, and they were able to see these things that are kind of there most of the time. They just they kind of turned the switch off, and that's why they don't really see them. And well, they just decided to recalibrate the sensors, and now all of a sudden we, we can see them. And it begs the question: How often are these kinds of objects in our airspace? And why such a concentrated effort at that particular time to identify several of them to send military assets to go and intercept them and to shoot at them? Uh, it, it just very very strange. And then the fact that the mainstream media hasn't really pursued that further as like what's really happening there and and what are some of the details that have been withheld is is very perplexing to me. In some ways, you know, and I'm happy to kind of swim in the in the woo end uh, of the pool with Dan, it, it, it does, for me, open up that um, possibility space in the mind of the public as to what's out there. Something is out there. And it, with that kicking the year off and then all of these subsequent news bites happening the rest of the year, it, it really, to me, kind of adds to this overall momentum. And that would be for me, like the biggest takeaway of 2023 is this the maturation of the topic, the uh, approaching of this inflection point on that kind of, uh, you know, sort of uh, an interest curve, if you will. Uh, I've always mentioned that uh, this is going to be kind of a, a a very hyperbolic looking chart when it comes to, uh, you know, when, when the interest takes off at a certain level, it will be unstoppable. Like we'll reach this inflection point of the curve and the interest will just really skyrocket the the kind of testimony will skyrocket because you you just you, you've reached a critical amount of mass within both the public and the private sector where people realize that this is not something silly it's serious and they can then come forward and share their their own experiences or experiences that they have been been shared or seen from from whatever their professional lives happen to be and that that's a huge momentum builder and and, you know, the world will be forever changed at that point. So we're, we're on that trajectory. I'm firmly believe that.
1: No one likes a number two in the pool, but we all like a bit of woo in the pool. So yeah, a bit of yeah. woo is fine. There's a, there's a t-shirt design for you, Dan. Um, and Dan, I'll come to you on that. The, Nathan mentions the instrumentation thing, which at the time, for those who may or may not remember, I'll bastardize it for you, but in my own layman's way. Basically, they have instruments and sensors which are set to certain frequencies or statuses. Dan, your typing is really loud, by the way. Sorry, Uh, yeah. (laughs) uh, That are set to certain frequencies or um, whatever it is to find certain things so they don't pick up mountains on radar and things like that, but they also don't fine-tune it so much that they pick up pigeons and birds and, you know, whatnot. So it's set to a certain way that they pick up what they're looking for. So it makes sense that when they did fine-tune it to start picking up Chinese spy balloons and whatnot, they may start picking up things that they weren't picking up before. That frustrated a lot of people because that sounds far too simplistic, but if I try and look at these things from both points of view, it, it does make sense, doesn't it, that this instrumentation isn't just out there looking for everything that's in an airspace, because you would literally then pick up everything that was in that airspace. And it makes sense that every time, for example, the US develop a new f-22 f-23 f-24 graham's shuddering in his seat going there are no such aircraft as those but you know the, the better aircraft than the last one is my point then you design it to evade the the best piece of technology available and you keep making something better and better to evade what was there before so why wouldn't something else have technology that just wasn't picked up by our sensors it makes sense doesn't it
2: one hundred percent, and that's the goal of anything. You know, when they create a plane that has incredible stealth capabilities, that plane is built to reflect radar in a way that the return won't go back to the radar, so they can't see that it's there, or so it looks a lot smaller than it actually is, and you know, it just gives weird readings on radar, so that the the secret technology, and when I say secret, I just mean black projects, um, isn't picked up and isn't known about when they want to deploy it. So we have essentially. A, a radar works by like you know putting out a pulse. There are a whole different bunch of types. I'm sure Graham can kind of elaborate on some if we want to get nerdy, but it's just a case of something reacting and something reflecting. Whether it's you know some element that you put out that kind of reflects back to the radar, basically unless it's fine tuned you're going to start reflecting off everything you'll get birds you'll get balloons you'll get you know planes themselves you'll get it picking up people on the beach on the shoreline and things like that so you really need to narrow this down and and we hear these coming up again and again i remember when jeremy cobell released the omaha video with the object that looked like it went into the water we heard the people talking about what that radar was that it had a ceiling and a floor So radar is always aimed at something. You're not just kind of saying, show me everything in the airspace, because it would show you everything in the airspace, you know, probably down to the molecules these days. These things are so accurate. But it does make me think of the Tic Tac encounter, where you had the E-2 Hawkeye in the air with radar that kind of had a situational awareness of the whole space that the Nimitz and the Princeton was using during the exercise. And we heard time and time again from people on board that uh, Hawkeye that they got anomalous readings from the TIC-TAC. Now, if we logically kind of think about what happened there, essentially, over time, the US is able to scan something and say, cool, we know what that is now. Whatever readings come off it, electromagnetic, whatever, we know what that is. So we put it in a database, so when our radar sees that, it no longer goes, oh, this is a shape. It goes, that's an F-25 or whatever, you know, it picks up. Now, when that bank is made, and a plane like the Hawkeye can sit in the sky, scanning everything in an airspace, and it sees something like the Tic Tac that is anomalous—that it doesn't have in its databank. That there's no record of a country buying materials en masse to create something like this. It's just an anomaly, you know. There's just a, a big question mark there. And it leads me to wondering where that radar data went, because that would be invaluable, right? Chances are it's somewhere where someone's figuring out the signature of these things. And probably when Arrow says they're, they're making sensors to detect UAP, that's the kind of signature they're using, because it's a clue as to what to look for. So they can tune the the filters specifically to that frequency or whatever and, and say, look, there's a Tic Tac. There's 15 Tic Tacs over the planet right now.
0: The that signature recid- stuff is really important, Dan. Just sorry, don't break yes. in there. That it, because the U.S. Navy used to do that with Soviet submarines in the Cold War. They would pick up the, right. on, the, on the acoustics. They would pick up what the propeller noises were for, from a Soviet submarine. And they could actually work out almost to the subtype of the Russian types of submarines what they were. And that would be in a data bank. And every time they came across them, they would know what class the submarine was when they were picking them up. So if they're doing that today as well with UAP or, or anything like that, or anything that's just anomalous, and they get a, sig- a reading of it, that's your signature. And then they can look and go, oh, yeah, we've seen that before somewhere else. We're now seeing it again. You know, what is it? Sorry, Dan.
2: No, that's great. Thank you for adding that. It, it, it brings to mind when uh, Sean Kirkpatrick of Arrow spoke about signs of life, databanks or signatures. And what he meant by that was getting the signature of everything that's mundane and prosaic so that when you look at a certain scene or a certain radar reading, you can say it's not X, Y, Z, absolutely, with absolute certainty, you can say it's not X, Y, Z. So that, like Graham pointed out, it enables you to get a certain signature that that is anomalous, and that's what we see when we, you know, hear about the the underwater bloop, the sounds that are, are not understood from underwater. They don't match any submarine known. They don't match anything else known. So they're put in a bank of unknowns that maybe one day they'll come back to. And a few have been solved over time. Um, there's a a certain advantage that comes with identifying the signatures as well, and that is that once you know what something looks like, you can pretend to be it, right? So if you have an object in airspace that is weirdly shaped on radar, weirdly shaped by sight because the pilots fly past it really fast and they can't get a good picture of it, then and also gives off a weird infrared burst of energy, then that's not going to fit into a database. But because of how these filters are arranged, it's going to slip through the net. So it's kind of ingenious to say, okay, cows exist, so let's dress up as a cow and hide in the field when we know we're not a cow, you know? And someone in China at the end of February probably got a hefty promotion and payday for the low-cost, efficient penetration of US airspace. And as, as much as, you know, chances are, if the Chinese would be in serious about the balloons that flew over China, they're probably American balloons, right? They're copying. Everyone's doing the same stuff. It's just who gets caught doing it. Um, but it it also brings to mind the other day I watched, have you guys seen The Men Who Stare at Goats? Yes. And there's also another film that's kind of similar called Burn After Reading. And it's all about kind of government incompetence and how it kind of ends up chasing its own tail. And there's this one scene in Burn After Reading where, uh, you know, a military officer walks into his superior's office and he says, sir, the Russians think that we're engaging in psi research. And the guy says, well, are we? And he says, No. He says, "Well, did you tell him that?" And he says, "Yes, we told them that." But they think that's the story. That's the intelligence control. So now we have to actually engage in this research because they they are engaged in it, and it just ends up being this massive cluster muck of just, I, I guess, bureaucracy. And I can't help but feel that that kind of is playing into this as well. You know that that saying "never put down to um, malice" what can be perfectly explained by incompetence. There's a lot of both kind of things going on now. The Panel is a really interesting thing to hold on to. I think because we had the independent panel come up in February when Biden talked about these shootdowns, he wanted a panel, uh, a group, an organization to look at UAP away from the DOD and away from ODNI and everything like that. And then we also seen that saw that come up with Schumer, and it got rejected. So I'm kind of hoping that this is a, yeah, we really want this, but we don't know what form it's going to take. So we're going to keep going. So hopefully going forward, they hold on to that. This kind of government incompetence angle goes away a bit, and it feels like they have some control of the situation. But right now, I don't know. Seems to be the best answer the government could give us, and they don't treat anyone like adults. So we're not going to hear them say that, I think.
1: (laughs) Dan, let's stick with you and go with your kind of couple of things. If there's anything different to add, but then your your highlight then for 2023, what stood out to you?
2: So I'm going with the the y angle, the nerdy angle. You weren't far off when you guessed it earlier. Mm. <laughs> so this year, aside from you know the obvious amazing, this T-shirt being bought by to the stars and getting engaged at Devil's Tower with Elena, you know, just incredible moments, science. And UAP has progressed hugely this year from multiple points. So we've had NASA field an independent review panel, making recommendations on how they would study UAP. We've had the Sol Foundation held at Stanford University. Like, don't sleep on that. That's a big deal. Held at Stanford University. It was a professional conference. You know, there weren't people there selling 5G crystals and things like that. It was very much, hey, if you want a serious conversation about this, come come find out. There, we had people like Carl Nell coming forward finally, you know, um, and speaking about their experience with this. Carl Nell obviously cited uh, backed Grush in what he was saying and, and was in the same article. But we've also had uh, Avi Loeb dragons molecules off the seafloor to look at interstellar um, objects and try and find out what they're composed of. And there's been loads of arguments about that. And we also had Avi and Sean Kirkpatrick-Gavarra write in a few papers together as well, which was surprising. And they were, you know, much as the media headlines got it wrong, they, they were interesting papers setting some good boundaries for science to, again, identify signatures for what's normal and then being able to think outside the box. The big things for me, aside from those this year, are uh, one is the whole conversation around the James Webb telescope, and that's... Come up a lot in the past week or so as well with a number of scientists hinting that maybe maybe next year we'll see some papers talking about life elsewhere now uh i think it was exoplanet k2 18b everyone's favorite and the trappist system as well um and no doubt there will be others out there too and we've got a few different scenarios that lay in front of us with this chances are it's microbial life that we're looking at we're looking at you know chemicals that are output by organic processes on other planets but at the same time, I wonder, you know, if, if a review paper came out, peer-reviewed paper comes out and says, yes, there's life on this one planet, we're not alone. But then how different would it be if a, several peer review papers came out looking at these, uh, I forget the word now, the, the spectrum reading, spectrometry, spectroscopy, I forget. Um, but looking at the chemical readings in the atmosphere of multiple planets and showing that in multiple planets across the universe, we are finding life. It changes the equation a bit more from there's life just in this one other place to, what was it Tom DeLonge said? The universe is teeming with life. And so our assumptions change going forward into that. And I think that would be a really beautiful thing. And it would obviously cause a lot of astrophysicists and people involved in looking outwards suddenly start to to take the idea that we're not alone seriously, because the only discrepancy between SETI and us is that we think it's here, they think it's out there. Really, that's all it comes down to. Um then talking about life that's here as well, we had an incredible moment over the past couple of weeks, which was the development of some work that was done a while ago by uh, Dr. Michelle Fournet, where a SETI scientist... Uh, group of scientists, they had what they're referring to as a 20-minute conversation with whales. It wasn't really a conversation. It wasn't like, how are you doing? Oh, we're great. How are you? The water's cold. you know. It was very much just kind of yelling fire in a burner room and seeing if they reacted. And it seems that we're kind of unlocking the key to speaking with a species that we see as intelligent. And it gives us a lot of clues as to how to communicate with a species that would be other to us, the NHI, as we call them. That advancement has happened because of AI. And I don't think I would be remiss to say that 2023 was almost the year of AI, generative AI, applying AI to patenting and systems and seeing what information comes out of them. And the UAP conversation has been no stranger to that. There's been a lot of conversation about bringing AI into the UAP databases and seeing what patents it comes up with that eludes us. And some of this stuff is just mind blowing. So just as a as casual example because, you know, none of us are coders or anything like that, but there was one example where I saw someone made a generative AI where you could go onto it, tell it the computer game that you want to play, so you could go on and say, "Hey, I want a, you know, a 2D game where I jump over things and attack enemies and I'm a blue hedgehog." And it would create Sonic for you in a, like less than an hour. That's incredible. And you've got to wonder what kind of novel solutions this thing can not only come up with itself, but suggest that we try as well. This is going to be applied to material science. It's going to be applied to databases. It's going to be applied to speaking with intelligent creatures that are here already. And it's going to shift our world in a way that I think is unexpected. You know, right now we're talking about copyrights and disinformation and, you know, people making videos of politicians saying things that they're not saying, when really... If we jump forward from now, even 10, 20 years, how AI is going to develop is at such a crazy pace. You know, No longer are you going to have to have $120 million to create and train one of these things. You'll be able to do it in a garage with two bucks and 10 minutes to spare. This is going to enable people to do things in just incredibly novel and different ways. And applying all of that stuff to the UAP conversation and the search for life elsewhere, for all we know. We'll come up with an algorithm, say, hey, search for life on these planets. And it could turn out that this stuff was in front of us the whole time and we just weren't seeing the right results. So I think that's a really interesting uh, point to come from the last year, too. One other thing, because I feel like I've been speaking for a little while now, um, is the idea. So the idea is Crap Forward this year always. uh, We've heard that private industry is involved in keeping the UAP legacy program going and kind of holding this material and not sharing it. This year, one of the big things we heard is that Lockheed and other people or other organizations that hold this material, they actually want to get rid of it and they want to divest it. And this is what ORSAP was all about is giving it over so the scientists can help. Apparently not much progress has been made and one organization keeps coming up again and again and again and my phone's probably going to be tapped after I call them out on it. But it seems that the CIA are the gatekeepers on this thing and they've been finger pointed and people from both sides of the aisle and private industry and government are all pointing at these companies now saying, yeah, they got it. And unfortunately, we put some laws in place that are making it difficult to get it back into government hands. So that's, that's kind of changing the shape of you know private industry bad, secret keepers bad in the UAP conversation.
1: A lot to unpack there, Dan. Thank you, though. Yeah, I had sorry. To, I, had, I had to upgrade my stream yard plan just to get that on. Um, <laughs> um, but no, it's really interesting points. And something Graham said, but I'm going to come to Nathan on, because uh, Nathan almost went off and made himself a sandwich there. Uh, <laughs> Graham mentioned earlier about nothing's new within this. And I think Dan will appreciate the whole, you know, Simpsons did it reference, where it's all been said, it's all been done. <laughs> And, and the ufo conversation it seems like what's new is old and then what is old is new again when it when it, everything comes back round and is very cyclical um and i wonder what dan's saying there with that conversation has totally gone out of my head the point i was going to make and i'll leave this in dan said a lot what old is new oh yeah so in terms of looking back and using that ai to the stuff that's already right in front of us, something that always stuck out to me was using quote unquote ai to go back through a lot of those old religious texts modern texts and everything in between and look at patterns and as this stuff like dan says been in front of us the whole time do you think these advances in technology nathan let's come to you on it are going to find that actually a lot of these answers or what we're looking for are already here already discovered them or are just going to help us get further forward
3: well, I'm glad that Dan brought up AI. It was definitely on my uh, p- my punch card here uh, because I, I agree, and, and to your point, Andy, yes, it's going to allow us, just like any uh, powerful tool, allows us to enhance and extend our capability and our mastery over the world that we live in. AI is going to do that in ways that we can barely even perceive. I think we're right now experimenting with, low-hanging fruit that ai can do for us um what's dan what dan is hinting at here are the the things that are beyond the easy topics that that are going to emerge from what ai is capable of doing that it either will suggest to us as you know novel possibilities that we've not ever considered uh you know or you know, we're going to give it some kind of prompt. It'll go off and bring something back, and it's like you kind of throw something out for your dog to fetch and bring back, and it brings back something that you didn't expect, and it, it'll change kind of you know the way that you look at whatever's in your backyard, right? So I, I think that uh, that's very very likely. Um, it's extremely it's an extremely disruptive technology, and we live already in a very disruptive time. So I I, I have a lot of concerns about AI when it comes to the conversation around the the great filter uh you know can a civilization as it is growing and as is progressing in its technological rate of development can it get past some of these points in its development that allow it to you know kind of further itself out into the universe uh you know will will ai be uh, that that thing that prevents humanity from going any further and kind of is the end, the last chapter of of human life on on Earth? Or will it allow us to extend our presence throughout the rest of the universe? I mean, we really are living in that kind of time now. I I don't think people realize how, how exponential the change can be. Because when you're talking about intelligence, when you're scaling intelligence, this is why people like Ray Kurzweil, for example, when they talk about the singularity, what, what they point out, very rightly so, is that once you obtain generalized intelligence, artificial general intelligence, it's probably not long after that where that intelligence reaches what we would call super So far, far superior than anything that you or I or any, you know, the smartest human beings ever lived would be able to achieve. And at that point. How do we even relate to that kind of intelligence? And Mm -hmm. and, and let's sort of set the conversation about consciousness aside for a moment here, and let's just talk about intelligent capability. It would be alien to us. And so, you know, I think... We're interested. We're entering into these interesting time periods. I think it's going to be able to look back at a lot of the the human history, the recorded history, uh, not not just recorded history, but also just what's on the Earth. We're already seeing that science continue to mature, where they're taking you know pictures and and uh, lidar of the of the surface of the Earth and discovering you know long buried pyramids and other you know structures that have been there that we just didn't know were there. The fact of the matter is, our history is quite mysterious, and there there are a lot of uh, puzzles that remain in the past that we we don't know the solutions to, and it is very possible that AI will be able to dive into the the the, the wide and breadth of human knowledge that exists and and kind of pull things out that we just never really. Knew were there i mean i'm excited for that i think about this all the time we have academic institutions that have these super high specializations in various fields that never talk to each other what if you had an intelligence that could sort of trawl all that information and say hey did you know that so and so over here who's studying this you know obscure science has something they've discovered that ties directly into what you're doing over here in you know chemical engineering and they would have never, ever had the opportunity to connect with each other, but because they can through AI and its capability of pointing this out, new technologies, new insights will emerge. So all that to say, absolutely. But what I will also point out here, though, is that that is sort of proceeding in in a paradigm that we are already fairly comfortable with, and that is this paradigm of progressive knowledge that we're just going to continue expanding our knowledge in the way that it has already been given to us you know from from before we arrived on the planet just kind of this the slow incremental change of the way that we know things and quite frankly i don't know if if we're going to continue seeing that but we're going to see something entirely different and that would be an entire paradigm shift of what knowledge is and what reality is i contend that that's where we're headed that reality as we understand it knowledge as we understand it, information learning all these things are, are going to be changing for us in paradigm shifting and shattering ways where when you look back at this point in history, the early 21st century, it's going to look as ancient, as archaic as some of these you know, periods of time that were three, 4,000 years ago. It's just a before and after kind of chapter in the human story.
1: Is, is it fair to add to that, Dan? Thank you, Nathan, that we're not talking about AI here like idiots like me who use chat GPT version 4 as an advanced form of Google or anyone who's listening to this who's writing their college or university papers using it uh, and asking it to include three spelling mistakes and poor grammar. <laughs> Hint, there you go, folks. Uh, you're welcome to avoid plagiarism. This is That's not AI. A lot of that is machine learning, isn't it? And is really an advanced form of Google. And that's what we're about to see in a lot of the search engines or the, if they've not already got it in already. You're looking at a whole different level of computing. And like Nathan says starting to blur the boundary of what is a machine and what is like you said nathan putting that aside though but like what is consciousness and at what point does that ai become sentient and you start get, getting into terminator realms of ai don't you at that point dan
2: yeah absolutely and to to go even further with it you know imagine we could send instead of like a little go-kart to mars to explore imagine we could send a self-learning robot that could just start absorbing all of the information faster than us, because, you know, these these things that we send to other planets are always beaming information back to us, but it just takes the scientists a while to go through it. So imagine the thing could have already reacted and already been invented ex- inventing experiments on its own and exploring on its own and replicating itself on its own to go even further. You know, we're, we're not too far off the idea that's really popular in UAP circles, that maybe someone a long time ago created something that went out into the universe and did this kind of thing to gather knowledge and self-replicate and this is what we're seeing on our planet now. Maybe that's what the
1: tic-tac was. And the, instead of a little box, it might be handy if some of these things were like biological and had arms and legs and big heads and big black eyes and grey skin rather than being metallic and, you know, a bit awkward. So, yeah, who knows? Yeah,
2: absolutely. And you're getting into something there that I think is key, which is, and we definitely spoken about this on the show before, which is what is life? Like you go into each field and they have different definitions. There's no one agreed upon definition. So when we kind of get to a point where, you know, AI assisted, we identify it, we're going to go, wow, that's extraordinary. And the AI is going to tell us, no, it's actually ordinary. And it's just your frame of reference that's wrong. Um, you, you know, the supernatural isn't supernatural, it's natural. So this stuff is going to give us such a grasp and such a, I, I think, inspiring change that I wonder if when we find that this stuff is all around us, I I wonder if it's going to affect humanity in
1: terms of how we treat each other, you know? probably not um, <laughs> total pessimist um, Graham speaking of pessimism um, you brought up something in the private chat here no secrets but did you want to mention that on the actual audio or stream yeah, it's um, fine. I didn't yeah. Know if that was fine yeah cool on yeah okay was
0: yeah. uh, just um, something Lou Elizondo actually um, sort of uh, mentioned in a quote that I asked him to provide for the end of my Foo Fighters book in 2021 so we're going back two years ago uh, and he said um, about the parallels between like also um, you know, the, the cases I was writing about, but also modern day accounts. He says, as in modern accounts, we can look back into history and apply the five observables to many other eyewitness cases where highly trained professionals encounter what appear to be UAP. I believe as we apply artificial intelligence and machine learning to the problem, we will see more of a pattern emerge from the historical record. So basically what uh, Dan was talking about there.
1: Oh, thanks for that, Graham. Um, do you know what was only slightly off-putting, Graham, is your uh, picture, and this won't be in the actual release of this, but it's slightly behind. So I thought you were still going to carry on talking. <laughs> and I was watching your video, and I was like, "Oh, Graham, stop talking." So, apologies for the delay. Um, um, can
2: Can I just jump in with a little quote here? That it was something I found on on Reddit that someone laid out that I thought was really good. It was Texas Rigger on Reddit, and it kind of getting as... His is getting at uh, a lot of what we're talking about, the advancement of technology and, and how it's hitting this exponential curve. So this person on Reddit wrote, a person born in 1880, the year the light bulb was invented, they would have been 13 when the zipper was invented, 16 when the radio was developed, 23 when the first plane flew... Um, they would have been 28 when the first Ford model cars hit the road, 59 when the television first debuted, 65 when the first digital computer was built, 89 when we went to the moon, and the young age of 103 at the birth of the internet. And they would have been 137 when the New York Times ran that UAP story, which probably you know they, they weren't around for. But that's an incredible amount of progress in such a small amount of time, considering how long we've been here. And Just the last 100 years has transformed humanity in ways that we just don't understand yet. And to to touch on Nathan, what Nathan was getting at with kind of actually grokking it and, and transforming and really internalizing this stuff as a society, that this is the new base now. Think about how long ago quantum nature of the universe was first talked about, we're only just getting to where it's included in, you know, Marvel TV shows and we can talk about it as members of the public. Now it's about, you know, 80 to a hundred years after it was brought up, that is cutting edge knowledge. And that probably makes all four of us, um, you know, someone's going to take issue with this, but as smart as Isaac Newton, you know, he didn't know about this stuff. (laughs) So we, we have to kind of remember, you know, our frames of reference and things like that. And just really appreciate that the march of precision and the the crux point
1: the important point that humanity is in that I, I seen something on that recently dan and i know what you're talking about where someone now that we would consider if you pick some annoying influencer you know that you, you see online is actually pretty intelligent comparatively to someone who lived 100 years ago just mm-hmm. given what they can use but it's very much relevant to the time because i think we can see plenty of folks on tv who are now multi-millionaires from doing whatever they do online Mm -hmm. and you just shake your head and and shudder you know at, at the thought of it um and graham over that last hundred years you've seen so much of that happen and when the Thanks. zipper was invented no I, yeah I had, I, had to bring I, I had to bring it in um listen just to start kind of rounding off on part one a little bit there because we've covered quite a lot of 2023 and started bleeding a little bit into to some of the 2024 stuff i wanted to self-indulge for a moment and just bring in mine and and it is um the biggest win for me was not David Grush in itself, but for me, it was the reach David Grush's appearance at the congressional hearing had in the UK. And I've said so many times that even though things can be big news in the US, it doesn't touch the sides worldwide. And that's where I get a little bit, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, frustrated with some of the the kind of big names on, on UFO socials where they'll declare because X has appeared on some sort of US TV show. The floodgates have opened. That's disclosure. Here we go. The toothpaste not going back in the tube. And yet here we are, you know, at the start of 2024. Um, And I'm going to ask you about some of your frustrations um, off the cuff from last year. But we've actually seen how, personally, I think how easily it could all go back five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, just with a couple of politicians uh, and powerful folks with powerful backing saying no. And it was very easily done. And I think that surprised a lot of folks. Um, But yeah, so my, my measuring stick, though, for success of the reach of something in this topic is when it hits the UK media and how it hits the UK media. And David Grush's comments were huge because I think it landed on a Wednesday or a Thursday, the hearings. But f- over that Thursday, Friday, and that weekend, there was so much interest in the UFO topic from almost every major news outlet. And then into the following week, I had journalists from random publications who have no interest in the UFO topic whatsoever reaching out to chat about it, and I'm sure lots of other folks did as well. And that for me was the, you know the the the, the moment that I was ah, it was it wasn't quite breaking through. But you know, and here's an analogy. You know, in the Matrix when Neil's in the big sack, like the kind of womb, and he's trying to punch his way through, you can see Neo in there. But he doesn't quite manage to break out until the final bit. It's like that. You could see the kind of the fetus inside going, I'm here, the conversation's ready to happen. But it never never quite quite happened and it's still kind of cooking away. Um, because it did disappear as quickly as it arrived. And I think if any number of those journalists or outlets I got in touch with tomorrow and was like, Do you fancy doing a story about this? Do you fancy covering it again? They wouldn't be interested in the slightest. They wouldn't want to pick it back up. It came and went and they've moved on. That's not to say that it won't happen again, and I think it will in 2024, but David Grush's comments, and I feel so bad sometimes for Ryan Graves and Dave Fravor because they were the third wheels of that date. You know, Dave Grush was was there as a standalone. It was like Tropic Thunder, where it was a great movie, but you had those trailers beforehand, and they were very much the trailers and were, were worthy, but you kind of forget they were there sometimes until you go back and watch the movie. So um, Graham, Tropic Thunder is a great film. I don't know if you'll have seen it. Um, but yeah, go go back and watch it if you haven't. Um, get I have, Graham.
0: Have you seen Tropic Thunder? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have. I think yes. <laughs> Did you like it out of ten? Can't remember. It, it must have been. It must have been that memorable.
1: <laughs> yeah, go back and watch it. But that, yeah, so my point being, David Grush, his comments, the biologics, the craft that landed and that that hit home and that was a big knock at the door i think for from a uk the uk scene and i'm sure that happened in other countries around the world as well australia canada new zealand ireland italy there were probably moments where people went ah the interest is there and it went away so i think it's just keeping that momentum back up this year for me um it wasn't quite top of the hour news at 10 where i think if you're in the uk that would be that would be it, went at 9 o'clock BBC News, Graham and Dan, you know, that's that's when you know something's big, right, as a first story, it still was buried within the news cycles, but without the, without the laugh and the sniggers that we normally get accompanying those. So yeah, um, what I'd like to do though, gents, um, thinking on that before I get to listener stuff and before I forget, because I never included this in my notes, think on, was there any disappointment you had with the UFO topic in 2023, anything that kind of came to mind dan you're nodding first so let me come to you first of all nathan and graham maybe ponder on that that is all for part one part two will be out in the next couple of days you can listen to this episode already in full ad-free and with no sponsors for less than the price of a coffee. If you head on over to Patreon or Apple, you can subscribe to the podcast for less than the price of a coffee or take up the two weeks free trial that are available on those platforms. You can head on over to Spotify and search That UFO Podcast Premium and get access to this episode in full. No adverts, no sponsorships and also with some extra bonus content as well. Thanks for listening, folks.